This is going to sound strange, but it is the last Sunday of the year. I, I haven't lost it. Uh, in the liturgical calendar, this is the last Sunday of the current year. And next Sunday is the beginning of the new season in the liturgical calendar. So even though most folks that follow Hallmark, the first of the year is January 1 for people, uh, pilgrims of a different way of living, Christian men and women, we follow a liturgical calendar, and next Sunday is the beginning of the new year. And it begins with the first Sunday in Advent, and I invite you to come back for that. We've been working our way through uh, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, entitled, Piecing Life Together. And I love this picture, I like this image, I love the colors, I love the imagery, and that tree uh, is, to me, striking. And we've walked through a variety of different Topics, but Jesus Christ is the firstborn over all creation. Can I get a Presbyterian amen? Okay, that was pretty good, actually, all things considered. And we've learned that the supremacy of Christ trickles down into all areas of life. And today we're going to wrap it up, and I'd like to read uh, the end of this brief letter that Paul writes to the church in Colossae. Uh, Beginning in chapter 4, verse 7, I'd like to read what Paul says. And what I want you to notice as I'm reading through this is just listen to all the different names that are mentioned in this text. Okay? That's all, I I mean, I want you to read the words too, but I want you to, to get the flow of all the different people that are in here. Here we go. Tychicus will tell you the news, all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Tychicus. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother. Interesting language. I'm going to unpack that in a little bit. Who is one of you? They will tell you everything that is happening to me. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him, and if he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras is, sorry, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus sends his greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send his greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, See to it that you complete the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, (laughs) let's just do that. Write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace 
be with you. That's the end of the letter. Twelve different people mentioned by name. I love the power of that. I love the imagery of that. In my family, for whatever reason, I am the guy that is the go-to guy anytime something needs to be sewn or stitched together. This is true. My mother taught, we, taught me well, and it's not a backhanded remark about my wife. So I've been known to stitch things like tutus, <laughs> which is a labor of love, and it takes a long time to stitch them down so that they don't just fly up. And if you have children that have been in ballet, you know what I'm talking about. I've stitched together more uh, ballet shoes than I can recall, which is quite a bit harder to do than, you, than one might think. If you have a hole in your sock, I'm the go-to guy. And most importantly for me as the father, I am the guy that sews the dresses shut that I think are too revealing. Yes, I am. I am that guy. And I've done all of those things. And my wife, she's not here to attest to all of this. Sorry. She's taking people back to the airport. So here's the thing. So I got this. This is my little object lesson for today. If, if all I do is take two pieces of cloth and stitch them together with one stitch, is this going to be very strong? Obviously not, right? But that's what I did. You've got to take my word for it. It's been stitched together maybe twice because I did it one time with one, and it, like, fell apart when I picked it up. Uh, but this is stitched together with just two, and it's pretty easy to break apart. It really, really is. And I think that's the power, one of the powers of what's happening in this text. Paul isn't stitching himself together with just one or two people. He's not tethering up with just one or two people. Paul is tethering himself up with a variety of different people from all over the place. He's crossing political boundaries. He's crossing socioeconomic boundaries. He's crossing criminal boundaries. And he's stitching himself together. Not only is he crossing those kind of boundaries, and we're going to see in a few minutes, he's crossing uh, gender boundaries. He's also crossing age boundaries. Sorry for the sake of this illustration. I'm going quickly, as quickly as I can. And the more that he stitches them together with different men and women of faith, not just in his own little town, but around the region, around the area, around the planet, he is finding himself stitched into something larger than himself. And that stitching that is multiplex becomes stronger and stronger and stronger all the way through. So it doesn't make much sense at the end of 2017, approaching the 2018 uh, liturgical calendar to just be tethered together amongst ourselves or with one other person. What makes more sense is to follow the instructions actually that are intended in this text and to stitch ourselves together with more and more others. Because really the gospel of Jesus Christ is less about the self my own personal ideology or theology or even political beliefs and being stitched in as one common kingdom called the body of Christ. Because my friends, together we are that much stronger.
right? By the way, does anybody need a towel? <laughs> I think that's what's happening in this text. It truly is. So I think these last few verses in Paul's letter to Colossae are all about othering. They're all about the others. And I'm going to give you four reasons why it's all about the others and move quickly. Because it's a great summary of what Paul's been talking about all the way through. And his ministry always exemplifies this. If Jesus Christ is the center of all. The bigger our picture of Jesus Christ truly is, the supremacy of Jesus Christ, his work available for all people crossing all kinds of boundaries. And these boundaries in this text are fascinating. Because, so let me give you four reasons why it's all about the other. Reason number one, the good news I know the grammar here isn't the greatest, but it still preaches. The good news newsing in this story is bigger than an exceptional nation state. It's just bigger than the exceptionalisms that nation states say they are. It's bigger than being Jew or Greek. If you remember in here, there were three Jewish names, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice. And there are three Greek names, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. Luke is going to write Luke and Acts. Demas is going to have a faith struggle and fall away. And Epaphras, he's a hard guy to find in, in Scripture, but he is also a, uh, an assistant to Paul and to Luke. In other words, the good news newsing in this story is bigger than political boundaries. The good news newsing in this story is that in and through Jesus Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither American or Canadian. We are all one in Christ Jesus. This is nothing new, but it's a great reminder on the eve of a new year. Because we're living the tensions of what it means to hold too deeply to our identities. And Paul is challenging all of us to set aside our political identities and identify with the King of Kings. And it's oh so hard to do. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, In Jesus Christ there's neither Jew or Greek, Greek, male or female, slave or free, for in Christ we are all one in Him. Right? We are all one in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Colossians 1.15, is the firstborn over all creation. So yesterday... Uh, Yesterday was a move day, so oldest daughter, Jessica, son-in-law, Adam, they have a dog named Willow and a cat named Tigger. Uh, they're moving, they moved from Los Angeles to Pasadena. So, and we're just piling people in cars to go help them move. And as we're driving through the streets of Los Angeles, there's all kinds of things that you don't see every day on the sides of the street, right? You got, you got urban art, 
You got people doing photo shoots. You got people dressed like me. You got people living in tents. You got people living in boxes. You got your you're driving over bridges that you've seen on television sets. My daughter's uh, 12th floor apartment looks over this chess set, a, a large chess set on top of a roof across the street that's on Verizon commercials. So there's all kinds of images in your mind that you just don't see every day. And we talked about, as we were going through the streets, we were talking about uh, interesting things like all of these people have a story. And then I tried to ask the folks that were in my car, try to unpack for me the story that you think these people have. Because we all do it. We all write our own internal stories on behalf of other people. Do we not? We do that. We make our own stories up about other people. Now, I would never do that about Alfredo. And because he's a good pastor, he would never do that about me. But we do. We make up these stories about other people. And I said, tell me the story that you just made up about that homeless person. And, and they, they described it. And I tried to demythologize, to deconstruct that story on the spot as we're waiting in a light, suggesting via the data that I know about that maybe that homeless person is, there's, maybe there's a lot more going on than just a guy that made bad choices and he deserves to live on the streets because he made his bed and now it's time to sleep in it. So it was a really fascinating conversation. And by the time we got done, I had tried in about 10 minutes worth of time to deconstruct all those assumptive stories that we make about people and draw us all back, myself included, to the notion that Jesus Christ is the firstborn over all creation and that in Jesus Christ there is neither slave or free, male nor female, Jew or Greek. Regardless of the stories that we write in our heads without knowing the other person, that's hard work. And you know what it's called? Discipleship. And more importantly, it's called transformational discipleship. Because I think that's what's happening in this text. Paul is drawing attention to this very simple good news newsing, and that is this. That no one is exceptional in God's eyes. And we all need Jesus Christ. So that's the first reason why I think it is, that it is always about the other. Especially the ones that we create our own internal narratives about. And then we look for the resources and articles and data to back up our own narrative that we already made up. Paul's asking us to strip all that away and see people created in the image of God in Christ Jesus. Second reason. You doing okay? Usually I give you a buffet up here. The second reason it's all about the othering is that the good news newsing in this story, it includes women and the emerging generations. There's two people I want to draw out of these 12 names that came up. The first one is Nympha. Nympha apparently was a homeowner in Laodicea, and she hosted the church in her home in Laodicea. This is radically progressive for the day. 
Back in the day, women and children were considered property of the male. Doesn't that just hurt? It's like, it's like I feel like I'm just like going to cringe in front of you, whatever even that looks like. Yet, the gospel of Jesus Christ is breaking down that patriarchy to level the playing field like we talked about last week so that women and children have a level field field of play. (laughs) You know, it's the tryptophan. It still hasn't cleared the system. There's a level field of play for women and children. Archippus which is kind of a funny name to say, I'm not even sure I'm saying it right, is believed to be the son of Philemon and Aphia. Philemon and Aphia are not mentioned in this text, but they're pertinent to the story. I don't think they're mentioned in this text because Philemon is going to get his own letter later on. Philemon and Aphia have a son called Archippus, that meets in their church, and they had a domestic house help, and his name was Onesimus. And Onesimus was a runaway slave. But I'll get to him very shortly. So the good news newsing in this story is that it includes women and the emerging generations. Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry that you have received in the Lord. There's room for women and younger generations, and not just in baptism, but in the full life of ministry and mission of every single church. Thank you. One one person believes it. We got work to do. Alfredo Delgada. Third reason, it's all about others. Now notice, see all these others that we're, we're connecting with? We're breaking down political barriers, we're breaking down national barriers, we're breaking down uh, misogynist barriers, We're we're breaking down all kinds of barriers because Jesus Christ is not about barriers. Jesus Christ, come back next week, is about building bridges. Third reason that it's about the other is that there is the removal of legal, criminal, and racial walls. Back to Onesimus. This gets cool. I'll be as fast as I can. So Onesimus was a house servant for Philemon and Aphia and Archippus. Onesimus we know very little about. Some think he was just lazy. He didn't want to work in Philemon's home anymore. Doesn't really matter exactly what happened. I can tell you this, that Onesimus got fed up for some reason, and he ran away from Philemon and Aphia and Archippus' home, and in the running away, he stole some things, and he made his way to where Paul was. We don't know how Onesimus and Paul got reconnected. We just know that they did. And Paul, through conversation with Onesimus, essentially led him to Christ Jesus. And Onesimus was contrite of heart, and he repented, and he wanted to go back. And Paul sends this letter and the letter of Philemon to Onesimus. Onesimus's. I'm trying to think of the right word. Masters. Philemon. Anaphia. And Archippus. And Paul says and does some amazing things. Onesimus' name actually, in its original language, means useful. 
while Onesimus was a domestic servant in Philemon's home, he was useful. When he stole items and ran away, he became useless. It was also more severe at that point because he didn't have papers. A runaway slave that was also a thief, both of those crimes could be punishable by death in the Roman law. And if they survived not being punished by death, they could be branded on the forehead with different brands. One brand was a runaway slave. The other brand was branded on your forehead. (laughs) This is lovely, isn't it? Uh, That you were a thief. None of that happens here. Onesimus returns to Paul, and there's this transformational process that goes into play and useful who became useless Paul sends back to Philemon and says even though he's a criminal and a thief and he has no papers receive him as one of your own And if there's still any debt that's incurred, I, Paul, will pay it. Isn't that a cool story? So useful became useless, was sent back even more usefully. Why? Because in Jesus Christ... There is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave or free. So the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the good news, newsing in this all about the other story, at least in Onesimus' case, (laughs) removes legal and criminal and racial walls, and it levels the playing field. This is slightly relevant for us today, is it not? All of these. There is absolutely nothing irrelevant about any of this. In fact, this could be the most practical and useful text that I think we've looked at all year. Let me give you one more reason, and I saved the best for last. I'm going to end with the way we maybe ought to have begun. In chapter 4, verse 7, there's one name, Tychicus. Tychicus. Who is this guy, Tychicus? Tychicus gets at least three verses. Tychicus is mentioned five times throughout all of Scripture, and I've listed those for you. But he's just an alongside kind of guy. He's a sidekick. You know, for us, reading these really dramatic stories, we can't even pronounce Tychicus. We can pronounce Paul, Lydia, Deborah, Peter. But then you start coming, coming through with some of the, the minor supporting actors and actresses, and it's like, oh, man, I, I don't know, Tychicus? Who's Tychicus? Well, Tychicus was the guy that Paul trusted to take the letter from where Paul was in prison back to Asia Minor, Colossae and Laodicea. Tychicus is little role becomes the biggest role in the narrative of the story. Which is why I wanted to end with Tychicus. Because Tychicus is you and me. Tychicus is you and me. 
We think that our little role in the kingdom of God is unnoticeable, yet, friends, it's noticed. You are significant and important because Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The little things that you do add up to be the big things that God does. Tychicus is a type for each of us in this room. Because in Jesus Christ, the smallest become the greatest. How many of you have ever, remember when you were a kid and you, uh, when we were kids back when I was a kid, it was different than being a kid today, but when I was a kid back in the day, uh, so we didn't have all these gadgets, right? So we had to make up our stuff. Anybody here, that was the world you grew up in? So how many of you have ever, you know, you remember going to school or to the park, you played wiffle ball or football or anything? Uh, even in gym class, you'd, you'd choose up teams, right? You chose up teams. And here's how it would happen. You get one captain here and one captain here, and then they, each captain, I'm going to take these three guys, people, and I'm going to take these three people, and eventually you get down to what? You get down to the bottom people. Right? I've, I mean, I'm not an overly intelligent guy, but I can remember watching this process as a kid, thinking to myself, man, this just ain't right. Because you get down to the last couple, and, you know, the really competitive guys, they're, they're literally, if they're not saying it out loud, they're thinking, crap, I don't want that dude on my team. That guy sucks. This is the biggest liability. And I can remember a number of times, so uh, this happening with our neighborhood. We lived in a cul-de-sac, and we, our front yard was matched together with our neighbor's front yard, and we had two big picture windows, and that was always part of the drama um, because we would play football, and the drama was when will the football go through the picture window, and it, will it be the Wilson house or Conrad's house? And there would usually be about 10 or 15 of us kids, ranging in age from... You know, I, I'm going to say I was in grade school. That would put my brother Dan, if you were here last week, you know, the youngest guy. Dan would be six years younger than me. You do the math. I'm not that good at it. All the way up through high school and sometimes college-age guys. So we'd get together, men and women, and we'd choose teams, right? We'd choose teams. And I can remember to myself watching this process, not liking it at all. Because I always got chosen before my two younger brothers, just because I was a little bit older, not because of any other reason. And I could see my brothers, who turned out to be no small athletic players in their own right, I watched them get picked last. And I watched their body language, you know, just kind of do this. And even in those moments, I thought to myself, there's got to be a better way. And then one day I found out there was. When I went to Minnesota, we played pickup pond hockey, and here's how we chose teams in Minnesota. When it was time to play the game, everybody threw their sticks in the middle. And somebody just went up and started throwing sticks randomly into different sides of the ice, and then you'd go retrieve your stick, and that was the team you played on. Now that seemed and felt a little more just, Right? I don't know how you do that with other sports, but at least for me, it salved my own injustice uh, predicament. All that to say 
is that I know that in this room there are people that feel like they're not doing anything substantial for the kingdom of God. In fact, you probably feel like you always get picked last. Or maybe you get picked first, but still the image that you have of yourself is that I'm never picked first, even though I'm doing pretty well. Deep down inside, I know there's something lacking. I'm more of a middle-of-the-road guy. I'm a little quieter. Or even you are at the back. And things in the world continue to just beat you down so that you feel like you're the last kid picked. The power of this text this day at the end of the liturgical year in 2017 is that every single one of us is Tychicus. Every single one of us is picked first in and through Jesus Christ. Every single small role is a big role. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that cosmic and supreme and authoritative. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May it be so. Right? Amen. So I got a challenge today. Here we go. Challenge. There was a lot of others in here, right? Twelve of them. I included all of us. A lot more now than just twelve. And my question to you this day as we close this year and enter into the Advent season of the new liturgical calendar year, who is the other in your life? Who is the other in your life that you need to create room for and stitch up with? Who is it? Who is it? Because until we act like that and do those kind of hard things, we, we're just one stitch. But the power of stitching up to all these others, I'm a little afraid to actually give it a good whack. That's approximately 15 pounds of pressure. We're stronger. Tether up to some other... I think you'll be surprised of the role that Tychicus has played all the way through our lives. Let's pray. Loving and holy God, we worship you this day. Strong words from your text. Thanks for helping us piece life together. Thanks for helping us find strength and encouragement. We will never lose sight of the supremacy of your son Christ. Forgive us when we do, because it happens all the time. And may we have the courage to create room for all these others and many, many more. Why? Because that's the way God is. Amen. So we're going to show you a fourth video here. Um, I do think that, I do believe that gratitude enlarges generosity, or it's really just greed in disguise. Uh, this is our last Sunday in November, and we've been talking about gratitude plus generosity equaling blessing, and we had a Pledge Sunday last week, 
And we still will definitely still receive your pledges. Uh, the cards can be placed in the offering plates in the back on the way out, uh, or you can mail them into the office. You can give them to Alfredo, uh, and he'll get them to the right people. Uh, we'll, we'll just receive your gift offering of faith, because you know what? Honestly, it really is all about the others. I hope you enjoy this. pretty much all my life and maybe still do at times but I'm a person that needs something tangible so trust is the first word I think of when I think about pledging trust in God I've struggled with trusting in God pretty much all my life and maybe still do at times but I'm a person that needs something tangible so when I finally took on the tithing it was a step to be obedient to God and to trust <coughs> in him so when I pledged to PPC 